Yes, I am the pastor here at Woodburn Baptist, the luckiest man alive. Uh, man, it's cold this morning. Y'all notice? Man, I ran my Thursday morning run. I left home at 6 o'clock in the morning. It was 17 degrees wind chill, y'all. I'm out. Oh, yeah. How many of you love winter? Hands up. You love it. You just love it. All right. I officially today am going to join you. Uh, I've just realized you know, I, I, I'm not an old, old man yet, but I'm getting older, and I'm just going to keep getting older, and it's just going to keep getting colder. Uh, and so I realize if I don't stop this now, I will become that old man that nobody wants to be around because I won't be complaining all the time of, of being cold. So I'm officially today no longer complaining for being cold ever. All right. So I'm not doing it. And I want y'all to help me. And I'm serious. If you hear me complaining about it being cold outside, uh, you call me out and I will put a dollar in the offering plate every single time you catch me. Uh, and we will send that money to missions to spread the gospel in really cold places if y'all want to. Um, but I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. So, you know, usually I complain all winter long. Then I, I don't complain in the summer because I love, I love hot, hot, hot weather. It, it can't be too hot for me. But, uh, but now officially I love cold. I love cold weather too. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to force myself to love it. So you won't hear me complaining anymore. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. This is not going to be a great sermon, not that you're used to great sermon, not that you're counting on one. Um, This isn't going to be a barn burner. This isn't that kind of message at at, at all. But this will be a very, very practical message. And I honestly believe that if you would apply what you hear today, it will change your life. Again, it's not going to be the sermon that, that knocks you over the head with amazing anything. But if you will listen and apply this, this will change your life. And I'm not just talking about like your church life. I'm talking about your life life. We're talking about a life change today if you're interested in changing. I, if I could come up to you one on one and just ask you, you know, do, do you love Jesus? Do, do you wish you had more of Jesus? Do you wish you could give Jesus more of yourself? All of you in this room that are believers, you would say yes. I know that you would say yes. More of Jesus, that's just the, the longing of every Christian's heart. I, I want to have more of him. I want to love him more deeply. I want him to have more of me. That's just the Christian life. And I think we would all agree and, and say that. However, for all of our best intentions and for all of that deep longing to, to know Jesus and, and love Jesus more and more and more, nothing ever changes for us. I can't really speak for you, but I imagine that I can. I think you'd all say the same thing that I would say. It, it never really changes. I, I want to do better. I, I want to be better. I, I want to grow in my love and, and, and courageous following of Jesus, but it doesn't change. I tend to sort of always stay at sort of the same place. And uh, I, I would love for that to be different. I would love to make that different for you as well. Recently, I read a book called Making Time, co-authored by a man named John Zaratsky. And John Zaratsky says that he reached a, a pivotal moment in his life. And it was the moment when he realized that he couldn't remember anything from the last two months of his life. He couldn't remember anything. And it wasn't like an alien abduction or some sort of brain medical anomaly that wiped out his memory. It's just that he couldn't remember anything. And he stopped and realized that this was the very best time of his life. He was very happily employed. He loved his job. He was making decent money. And he was probably in the best place he'd ever been at work. 
And he loved his wife and was very happy with his family. He'd never been more relationally fulfilled. He just loved, loved his, his wife. He had a circle of friends. He wasn't lonely at all. He had friends that lived there right nearby him. And, and so it really was the very best time of his life, but he couldn't remember the last two months. He says that it's almost like he, he felt disconnected from his own life, almost like it was happening to somebody else. Or honestly, what he said was when he looked back, it was all just a blur. His life was a blur. Did you relate to that? Did you ever just look at your own life and think, my goodness, it flies by. It just goes by so fast. It's, it's, it's like a blur. And honestly, you'd probably say the same thing. There's not much in this past week that sticks out. You, you don't recall much. You know what you did because you did what you always do. But life just sort of goes by like that. Days, weeks, months, years go by in a blur. Today, I want to help you stop the blur. I, I want us to stop the blur. We can live differently and we can be in our own lives differently, but we would have to make some changes. And I want to talk about the changes it would take for you and me to stop the blur. And it starts with what we call the triple two challenge. If you've been around Woodburn for a while, you've heard me talk about this. This is not in, in any way a complicated message or a concept. This is actually very, very simple. But just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. But the triple two challenge is a way to structure your life in such a way where the things that matter most uh, receive their place and priority in your schedule. Okay, so the triple two challenge is actually three sets of two. And the first two are these two hours in worship. We're talking about in the course of a week, every week, you would make a commitment to spend two hours in worship. Now, you've got to jump on this week because you're here. This service is worship. We'll call this worship, and it will last an hour. If you're really, really a stickler for time, it'll last an hour and 10 minutes, okay? So I'll give you the 10 minutes. You're an hour and 10 minutes toward two hours for your week. So the challenge then is for you to find another hour in worship. Now, at Woodburn Baptist Church, we have Wednesday night service. We have a Wednesday night worship service. So the easiest thing to do is just come back on Wednesday and make that your habit. Make that the way you live your life. But I know that not everybody can come back on Wednesday. I I understand that schedules are crazy. Your life is crazy. That may not be possible. But guess what? There are so many different ways that you can worship the Lord. Set some time aside, another hour, and worship Him. Give Him an hour, another hour from your week. Now, let's just say you decided to spend 10 minutes every day in personal prayer or or singing. That's worship. 10 minutes a day, and you could take a day off, you understand? And you would still fulfill this goal of two hours in worship. So spend an hour, say, in public worship, or maybe come back Wednesday night, or, or make it your commitment that you will spend another 10 minutes every day in prayer. But But one way or the other, every week of your life, give two hours in worship. The next one, two hours in Bible study. Some of you would say you've always wanted to do this, and at certain periods of your life, you've tried. You jumped in. Maybe you used to read your Bible every day, but you don't read your Bible anymore. Well, I want to challenge you to get back to that. You need that in your life. This is the large part of what's wrong with your life. This is why it goes, all goes by in a blur. You have your priorities mixed up. Two hours in Bible study will help you reorient your life around what matters most, and that's God's word. 
Now, if you come to worship at 11, you probably know, or maybe you don't know, that at 945, we have Bible study groups for everybody. So you could actually fulfill the first hour here by just coming one hour earlier than 11, and then find a small group and jump into a Bible study. Get your family involved in Bible study. That's a good way to do it. But if that doesn't work for you, understand we got small groups on Sunday night, and we got small group Bible studies meeting all through the week. We can help you find a group. Maybe you like mornings. We have men's groups that meet at 5.30 in the morning. We have groups that meet later at night. We've got groups at all different hours, and and we can help you find a group. So find a small group and jump into Bible study. But again, that's just one hour. The, The second hour, you should do on your own. You should pick up your own Bible. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but you know, some of you left your Bible at church like way back when Obama was president or even Jimmy Carter was president and you haven't missed it yet. Like your Bible lives at church. It's got your name on it. You know, it's got like your electric bill from December of 1987 still in there. Like you just walked off and left your Bible. You you understand? I'm saying pick your Bible back up, find your Bible and read it. 10 minutes a day would get you there. If you just found a small group Bible study for an hour and then you read your Bible for 10 minutes a day, you'd be at two hours a week. I know for some of you that doesn't sound like much, but for some of you, that's a great place to start. Two hours a week in Bible study. And then the last one, two hours in service. Sooner or later, if you're gonna follow Jesus, you gotta start doing something for somebody who's not you, not you yourself. You've gotta learn to start having concern for people outside the circle of your own family you got to start doing something for somebody now again there's all kinds of ways to serve here at church and, and, and at the risk of sounding like a bad pastor let me just say i don't want you to do all your serving here at church we need nursery workers and children's workers of all kinds. We need small group leaders for teenagers and college students. We need volunteers for senior adults, somebody to visit shut-ins. I mean, we need all kinds of volunteers. But please hear me. Don't spend all of your hours of serving at church. You've got neighbors that you need to go, you need to go meet your neighbors. You need to find a way to serve other people. The people that you work with, the kids at school, volunteer, do something for somebody in the name of Jesus, not yourself, not your family. This is just a Christian life, you all. And I think you know that. These are just the building blocks of the regular Christian life. The problem is some of you are calling yourself Christians, but you're not living a Christian life. You're not involved in worship. You really don't read your Bible and you really don't do anything for anybody. I'm challenging you to live differently. Do you understand? You've got to stop the blur. You've got to somehow pull aside in moments of your life and, and make the most important thing the most important thing. If you're not doing that, understand, nothing ever is going to go right in your life. You've got to stop, slow down. You've got to look inward. You've got to feed your soul. And to help you understand how to do that, open to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Let's take a look at a story some of you will know. It's a little story in the Gospels about two sisters. The sisters are Mary and Martha. 
They're very much alike in, in, in a lot of ways. They both love Jesus very, very much, but they're very, very different in temperament and personality. And just to give you a, a little bit of a hint, I really believe that we are a Martha church. In other words, I think most of the people I'm looking at are going to be more like Martha than like Mary, but, but let's take a look at Martha and Mary together. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. I love this story. This is good. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was, say the word, distracted. Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. The Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, Martha. As I say, I think we're, we're a Martha church. Most of you would identify with Martha in this story. Martha likes to get things done. Martha is practical. Martha is on task. Martha is a self-starter. Martha's a lot like us. And because you may be like Martha, you really need to hear what Jesus says to Martha. And what does Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Mary has found the one thing that matters and it will not be taken away from her. Yeah, it, it, it sounds like he's saying that what Martha, you know, it's distractions, but it's also lunch. You understand? And Martha in her head, what's she thinking? You can think like Martha, right? So you're thinking, okay, that's really, really good, but, but I don't see anybody else in here cooking lunch. I mean, right? And in a minute, they're going to be Jesus and 12 men all bellying up to the table for lunch, you know? Nobody lifting the finger, but Martha, y'all can do this really fast, can't you? I mean, you know how Martha thinks. You know, yeah, that's easy. That's easy for you to say, I'm distracted. Yeah, but I'm cooking your lunch. Now, remember, Martha and Mary, they both love Jesus very, very much. Martha loves Jesus. Martha is thrilled with the idea that Jesus is going to come to her house. I mean, I mean, it, it, it thrills her soul. It, it, it fills her heart with joy. It fills her head with now things to do. Because when Martha has company, that just sets her in motion. Now, I don't know what you do when you have company, but when Martha has company, y'all, this is something she, she really gets into. This is an opportunity to do some things that she's been wanting to do anyway, but now company's coming, so she's going to do it. So Martha's probably going to have to first do some work in the front yard, you know, because company's coming, and the front, the front of the house looks awful, so Martha's probably going to have to spread some mulch and, and cut down some perennials and sort of dress up because she doesn't want Jesus and the disciples all walking up her front walk, and it looks like a crack house. You know, so she's going to spread mulch and cut down the perennials and generally do a lot of work outside the house. That's Martha. She'll probably do some leaf blowing and all of that um, because company's coming. When she thinks about company coming, they're going to sit in the front room and Martha knows good and well that she hasn't washed the drapes in the front room in over a year. 
And so Martha decides that this is the time to take all the drapes down, wash them, iron them, and rehang them. Okay, I threw that in, y'all. I just found out this year that people do that. Do y'all do that? Do do y'all like take drapes down, wash them, iron them, and hang them back up? Let me see your hands. I'm not going to make fun of you. I'm just a little bit in awe. Really? Really? Notice my mama's hand is not up, and this is why I didn't know. We never, like you never, we never took drapes down. They hung up all my life. I've watched drapes change color over time, you know? But Martha... Martha, no, y'all, honestly, it was Wilma Guthrie, one of the older ladies in our church, y'all. She can't, like, walk to church, but she took her drapes down and washed them. Because in Wilma's mind, you've got to do, th- she thinks you got to, y'all, she don't know, you don't have to do that at all. But, but this is the way Martha is. You got to, you know, redo the drapes, and that, that doesn't even get us to lunch, You know, Jesus is coming for lunch to Martha's house and Martha's got this opportunity to cook lunch and and it's Jesus and 12 men and Martha knows how men eat. And she knows that most of the time out on the road, they're just eating sandwiches and going through drive-thrus. She wants to give them a good lunch. So Martha starts thinking about all that she's going to cook. I mean, this is going to be a big dinner. Jesus and all these men, they need to eat. Martha knows that men like meat and, and potatoes. So she's thinking about maybe several different kinds of meat, maybe chicken and a roast both, you know, and, and mashed potatoes, because all men love mashed potatoes. I mean, you could sit me in a big bowl of mashed potatoes. I'd be happy, y'all. I mean, mashed potatoes and gravy. Men love gravy. Put gravy on a dish rag. A man will eat it. Just meat, potatoes, gravy, and vegetables. Martha's thinking about the sweet corn that she put up all summer long from the, you know, the sweet corn that was in the garden. So you're going to pull out some of that sweet corn, green beans. It's just good stuff. Men love bread. So she's going to have rolls. She's probably going to make her own rolls. She could buy them, you know, at Myers, but the ones that Martha makes are just better. Now, when Martha talked about this, Mary said, Martha, you're crazy. You know, we could have spaghetti. Martha, we could have spaghetti. Jesus and the disciples would eat spaghetti, and, and spaghetti's easy and spaghetti's cheap. And Martha's thinking, yeah, you would serve spaghetti now, wouldn't you? Because Martha knows how to feed people. Martha knows how to do this. Martha knows how to set the table. Martha knows that men are going to want several pitchers of sweet tea during lunch, but then coffee over dessert, and that brings us to dessert. She's probably going to want to have cobbler, Maybe cobbler and some pies because men like pie, right? Cake, something like that, you know? So this is Martha. This is how her brain works and she can't turn that off. Now for Martha, this is all necessary stuff. In her mind, it's necessary. And Mary can tell her all day long, you don't have to do all of that. Jesus never asked for any of that. They'd be just as happy with sandwiches. And Martha's thinking, sandwiches? We're not having sandwiches at my house? So you know how the story goes. Martha's in the kitchen. Jesus has arrived with his disciples and they're all in the front room visiting because that's what the day is for. It's it's for the visit. Jesus is telling stories and talking and and it must be amazing that Jesus sitting in your own front room telling stories and Mary's not going to waste a moment of that. Mary's sitting right there listening to Jesus talk and Martha's in the kitchen. And the more she stays in, she tries to listen, but she can't hear what Jesus is saying. And then she remembers that Mary is in there sitting down. And then she's thinking about how everything's going to come out of the oven at the same time. 
and how we need to get some chairs out of the up, out of the upstairs room for around the table. And she's also thinking about how somebody needs to put ice in the glasses. And then she keeps thinking about Mary in there sitting on her lazy behind listening to Jesus talk. And it just flies straight up Martha's nose. Y'all know Martha, right? So Martha's in there working now thinking, nobody is helping me. I got a brother in there. I got a sister in there. And I'm in here doing all this work by myself. So she starts trying to like be loud so Mary will get the hint. So she starts putting ice in glasses, but she's like, ching, like, like doing it loud. So maybe Mary will hear that and come. But y'all, Mary's not picking up on those hints. Remember, Mary's the one that said we could have spaghetti. So Mary's not coming. So Martha's like, you know, opening the oven door. She's got to take the rolls out, put the cobbler in. She's slamming doors down. I mean, she's just getting mad and mad. I'm just mad setting the table, slamming the plates down because she's doing all this work by herself. So finally, she can't do this any longer. So Martha walks into the front room and says, Jesus, tell my sister, get her to help me. Because that's what a lovely hostess would do, right? Go in the front room and start yelling at people. But now she's yelling at Jesus, yelling at Mary, telling, is it fair? I'm in here doing all the work. And what does Jesus say? Martha, Martha, you were distracted by so many things. Honestly, in, in our lives, there are two things there are priorities and there are distractions. Martha is distracted. Remember, I said, I think we're a Martha church. So, so basically what I'm saying is there's a real possibility that you are distracted. In life, there are priorities and distractions, and you know this. And chances are, being Martha, in the back of your mind, you always have this running list of the things you ought to do better. But the thing is, you can't do it all, and you can't do it all well but for you, you don't really like to let things slide. And so as a, as a result of that, you end up putting way too much energy into distractions. And, and the priorities sometimes never really get what they deserve. In our lives, the goal is to honor priorities and eliminate distractions. But some of us, we latch on to these distractions. We become distracted by many, many things. Notice what Jesus does when he's talking to Martha there. He, it's this contrast. You are distracted by many things. Your sister Mary, she's found the one thing. You understand? There are distractions and then there is priority. In the life of a believer, the priority is, of course, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to let your life revolve around Jesus. Everything else is a distraction. One more thing, your life must be guided by the priorities. Your life must be structured around the things that really matter, not pressures. See, that's Martha's problem. Because everybody else could stand back and go, Martha, you know, you really, you didn't have to wash the drapes before Jesus. You really didn't have to have two kinds of meat. You did that to yourself, Martha. You really didn't have to, you know, set the whole table with all the fancy china. You know they make paper plates, Martha? You, you wouldn't really have to do this because here's, here's the thing, and you know this is true. At the end of that afternoon, 
Of all the people that were there at Martha's house, eating the food and listening to Jesus speak, the wonderful time around the table, who do you think at the end of that day said, you know, that whole day went by like a blur? Martha. That whole day was a blur for her because that whole day for her was caught up in the gravitational suck of busyness and distraction, these pressures she put on herself. These pressures are pressures you're putting on yourself. All these things that you tell yourself you have to do, you don't have to do them. That, that's you. That's pressure you put on yourself. The problem is you let your whole life be dictated by the pressures and you're forgetting the priorities. You, you have to be guided by priorities. Now, again, I really want to dig in right here for a second. Uh, we finished the sermon series on spiritual warfare last week, but I want to talk about warfare right here at, at this point. Remember, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted. I want you to understand that distraction is one of the devil's strategies in your life. Distraction is one of the things he will use because honestly, for some of us, us Martha types, it's very, very effective all he has to do to pull us off the path is just distract us, give us a job that for us looks absolutely necessary, something that we get into and once we're into it, we can't get out of it. This is the devil's strategy and it works very, very well on a lot of us. So recognize distraction is one of the devil's ploys. It's one of the devil's traps. He can make you absolutely, positively, spiritually useless if he can distract you. So notice how distraction works. First off, distractions appear in critical times. This isn't accidental. It's not random. And if you pay attention, you'll begin to recognize this. The devil will present distractions at spiritually critical times. So somehow, right before God is really ready to do something new and wonderful in your life, right before the breakthrough, Right before the answer to the prayer that you've been praying for years and years and years, right before God is ready to just really bless your life, at that moment, the devil wants to steal that away before it's even in your hands, you understand? So the devil will distract you. Right before a very spiritually rich time, before, again, the answer to your prayers, the breakthrough, everything you've been waiting for, praying for, the devil will steal that away by just distracting you in that moment. And so then you miss what God had for you. You miss because he just makes you sort of spiritually absent. He does it through distraction. So recognize the pattern here. Recognize that this is not random. That the devil knows exactly what he's doing. He's always trying to ruin your life. He knows that if he can make your schedule full, he can make your soul empty. So he just distracts you. And typically at very spiritually critical times. Now, I want you to understand this, especially if you're a parent, because it's not always the critical time in your life. Sometimes it's the critical time in your children's life. He will distract you, dad, at the time when your kids need you as a spiritual leader the most. He'll distract you. Because it's the time in your children's life when God is, is forming their souls, forming their character, growing them. And they need more than anything a mom and dad who are present, spiritually present, spiritually attuned. And so the devil would distract you in, in those moments in order to, to, to make your children suffer. Do you really think it's an accident? The back when your children were babies, you were so faithful. You and your spouse were so focused when your children were babies, but now that they're teenagers, you're all over the place. Do you really think that's an accident? Don't you understand the devil's strategy there? 
Your children are teenagers. They need you more than ever. They need you present. But you're not present anymore. You're distracted. The devil will distract you with all kinds of things. You think it's an accident that suddenly you have to work all the time when you have a teenage daughter going through crisis in your house. Understand, there's no accident there. Do you really think it's an accident that you are so captivated by Facebook? And some of you are. I've told you before, sometimes old people joke that, you know, kids can't get off their phones. That's not what I hear from church families. It's much more common for me to hear children complaining that their parents won't get off the phones. It's parents. It's mamas who would rather, like, talk about their kids on Facebook than talk to their kids. Understand, that's a distraction, and it's a dangerous distraction. Dads who would rather watch, you know, woodworking videos on YouTube than than go down the hall and have an actual conversation with a teenage daughter. Do you see what I'm saying? These distractions are not accidental. They're not random. They tend to come at very critical times in your life or in the life of those who are close to you. You cannot, you cannot let the devil get you at this game. You cannot be distracted. Next, distractions never ask for much at first. That's the thing. It seems like it's just a small thing. And, and you come in from work and you pick up your phone and say, I'm just going to thumb through Twitter just to unwind from work. And at that moment, your goal is really just to do it for a minute. But, but, but that's the thing. It's this infinity loop and you can't stop. It continues to refresh. There are new tweets and you just continue to flip through. And pretty soon, everybody in your house has gone to bed without you. And this is your way of life. You don't understand the the real tragedy of this. They never ask for much at first. You know, it's like when you sign your family up, sign a kid up for one of those, you know, ball teams. It's, it's, it's just going to be a, one night of practice and games, you know, one, one day a week. And, and then before long, that entire, your entire family is taken over with this ball team or this dance team or cheer team. It takes over everything. In the beginning, it never really seemed to, to be asking for that much. But before long, it's your full-time job. That distraction becomes your full-time job. I want you to understand there's nothing random about that. There's nothing accidental about that. This is how the devil renders you spiritually useless. Just takes your eyes off of Christ, pulls you off the path. But in a family, he'll take your whole family together. This is how it works. It's not an accident. It's not an accident that when your children were babies, you were focused, but now you're distracted. He's after your kids. Last thing, I don't mean to be ugly here, y'all, but distractions keep appearing, especially if you're looking for one. And honestly, for some of us, we, we're happily distracted. All the things I've just mentioned are important things, your children, your marriage, your, your faith, but honestly, sometimes... It's just so much easier to watch woodworking videos on YouTube than to walk down the hall and talk to your teenage daughter who doesn't want to talk to you. I mean, that's hard and, and the other's easy. And so sometimes we're just happily distracted, you know. We really do want to live a more faithful Christian life, but, but, but not so much that there isn't always something else to do I'm telling you, distractions will keep appearing, especially if you're looking for one. 
So Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Talking about the triple two challenge, talking about making a commitment, you making a commitment to two hours in worship, two hours in Bible study, two hours in serving. And some of you instantly say, Pastor Tim, it sounds like you're just giving me more to do. I thought we all established that we were busy people. We have a lot going on, and, and now you're just giving me more to do. No. You need to understand, I'm not talking about doing more. I'm talking about doing what matters. And there's a difference. So Pastor Tim, I don't have two hours in Bible study. I don't have two hours to read my Bible a week. I would have a really hard time believing in 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you don't have 10 minutes a day to read your Bible. A really hard time believing that. Now, what I do believe is that for some of us, it's really, really hard to let things go, things we love. And as I say, there's always a distraction there if you're looking for one. So it's just hard for us to turn the television off. It shouldn't be that hard. There's a remote, you know. But we, we don't know how to do that. We don't know how to step out of the kitchen of busyness and distraction and, and, and put ourselves down at Jesus' feet. But this is what's lacking in most of our lives. This is what we have to learn to do. And it does mean you may have to let some things go. Remember, life is about priorities and distractions, and the idea is you honor priorities and you eliminate distractions. You're going to have to let some things go. And honestly, isn't that always been the, the message, the gospel message, that in order to follow Jesus, you, you have to leave some things? And I mean, has your Christian life never cost you anything? Have you never really had to make any changes in order to pursue Christ? Because if you've never really had to change your priorities in order to follow Jesus, I don't think you're following Jesus at all. You're distracted by many things. Your sister Mary has discovered the one thing that matters. It will not be taken away from her. As I said at the end of that day, who's the one person who would say, man, that whole afternoon was a blur? It would be Martha. That's why I say I think that our church is mostly a church full of Marthas. But that worries me because your life matters. What God is doing in your life matters, and you don't want it all to go by like a blur. You, you really need to stop the blur. The only way to do that is to slow down. It's to step aside, find yourself seated at Jesus' feet. Learn to sit there, Martha, and, and learn to worship him and learn from him. And learn to look inside you. I said you could have a very, very full schedule and a very, very empty soul. What I'm talking about here is feeding your soul. Feed your soul. Pray with me. It's all a blur. God, we bring our baby home from the hospital. We turn around three times, and she is grown and gone. Lord, it goes by so fast. And 
Sometimes we wonder, Lord, if we were even there. (laughs) We were there, but it just goes by like a blur. Lord, you promised that you have come to give us life and, and give us full life, abundant life, Lord. But some of us, Lord, that life that we're living, and we're not even sure that we're present for it, God, help us. Help us, Lord, to be willing to make the changes necessary that we might step into the abundant life you have for us, that we might step into our own life. God, you shower our life with blessings and good things, and there are moments, beautiful, beautiful moments of every single day, Lord, but we miss them. We miss them all, Lord, because everything gets lost in the whirlpool of busyness and distraction. Lord, we are distracted by many things. Will you not help us today to rediscover the one thing? The one thing worth dedicating all of our time to, all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, Lord, will you just not teach us how important it is to step away from our lives and find ourselves seated at your feet? God, help us to worship, to be in our Bibles, to be serving others, Lord, help us to in the midst of all the other things we do, Lord, to do the things that matter most to you. We long to follow you, Jesus. So whatever we have to lay aside, whatever we have to do to rearrange priorities, whatever we have to do to lead our families differently, Lord Jesus, help us to follow you. Lord, we're tired of full schedules but empty souls. Lord, feed us today on your word. Teach us, Lord, the secret abundant life. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for all our sakes.